All right, so that means after the service this morning, you got to walk a different way out than how you came in, right? You got to figure out a different way to kind of kind of get out. One of the interesting things about living the Christian life is that I think I think we know conceptually that we're supposed to be different, that we're not supposed to conform necessarily to how everybody else lives, but it can be difficult sometimes to figure out exactly what that looks like, how we're supposed to be different, how we're supposed to not look like like everyone else. Uh, we've got uh, some some periods of times in our lives where we can think about, man, it was kind of easier than others to, to live a different life, especially when we take ourselves out of our normal everyday life context. Like for example, when you travel to a foreign country, you kind of are a little bit more aware, so aware of your idiosyncrasies, the things that you normally do, and kind of think maybe, well, why, why do I do that that way? That's kind of an odd thing that, that, that we do. We've got a group of guys that are experiencing that right now, actually. They're waking up in Granada, Nicaragua, like uh, Rex mentioned, and so they're going to be working all week in a place where they stand out because of their skin color, they stand out because they don't speak the same language, and because they can't live life the way that they normally do uh, each and every week, and yet it's going to be one of the most transformative life experiences for them that they can uh, that they can imagine. Actually, uh, so we raise money for them to go on the, uh, for the work side of this project uh, for this trip, and so I want to share with you. You guys interested in knowing how much we actually raised for that? No. All right. I just won't. Oh, you do. Okay. All right. So our goal was three thousand dollars, which, which is which is a lot. And so you know, if you don't make that, I you know, it's it's fine because we're kind of shooting high for that. But th- this is what we this is what we raised. Which is, which is awesome, uh, what God does with that kind of stuff. We're trying to, you know, hey, we want to we want to do a great job with this project. And he was like, you know what, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll come close to doubling that for you and, and, and does more when we come together in that with, with what he does. But uh, what's, what's so amazing about what these guys are going to experience, and I, I've said this to so many people, if I could, if I could send any, any of everybody on a missions trip, if I could get people to be out of their own normal everyday subculture context in their bubbles and experience what it looks like uh, to experience another culture, to rely on your faith in God in that moment, and what it looks like to worship with people who are of the same faith but look differently and sound differently, then I would do that for everybody because it really helps you to see what really matters when it comes to looking and living differently in this life. It's easier to connect with those truths that belief requires action, that we should look differently when we're out of our normal context. But even in our everyday normal existence, we ought to be living differently than other people, and particularly other people who don't believe in Jesus. We should look differently. We should sound differently because of our faith. Um, and the way we do that is we, we don't, the way we don't look like other people is we don't live like other people. We live differently because of who Jesus is. And there are a lot of interesting and different ways that Christians have tried to do this throughout history, be countercultural. For example, you have people uh, who become monks and so they go in sequestered communities to live with each other, to uh, spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation and singing and studying God's word. I hear they also uh, make good beer sometimes, depending on which ones you talk to. And so you have those kind of communities. And then you have kind of the, uh, the female version. You have nuns who do the same thing, who get together. And so uh, you think of monks and nuns, they stand out in our minds as, oh man, we recognize like that person has set themselves aside and set themselves apart to worship God and to follow God in this particular way. Or we could think of other communities that that look different because of their Christian beliefs. Like we could look at the Amish, for example. 
and they look different. They have, are kind of uh, based their form of worship on a particular, a particular period of time and some of the, the rules and, and regulations that they follow and how they, they follow Jesus. And after living in Ohio, I can confirm they have really good food and they make some decent furniture as well. And so, so you have those things. And so, so like, are these the things that should make us look different? Like, are those the examples that we're supposed to follow in looking different in our faith? Uh, and then you have the Desert Fathers. I don't know if you're familiar with the Desert Fathers, but they're kind of the uh, original monks. They're the ones who inspired monasticism because they would look around and they'd say, man, what's the best way that we can follow Jesus? And they decided to move out into the wilderness, into the desert, as it were, and to be alone so they could spend all of their time in contemplation of who God is and in worship of him. And, uh, and as they did that, people thought that that was really interesting for some reason. I'm not sure why. So they went out to those desert areas and started living around them as they were trying to be hermits and be alone. They had people come out and be with them. And so they started monastic community as part of that. Probably my favorite person uh, in, in church history that I think of when I think of the early Desert Fathers is Simeon of Stylites. Um, that's him right there. That's a painting of, of him. And you may notice that it looks kind of weird that he's up there on that pillar. Simeon was actually considered to be too radical for his monastic community because of how different he was living his life. So they actually kicked him out. And so his response to that was to move out into the desert and live on top of a platform on a pillar. And so that's what he did for over 30 years as he lived on this pillar and he tied a rope to his ankle to make sure he didn't fall off and people would uh, put food in a bucket that he would pull up and then he would preach and, you know, all that kind of stuff from there and he'd have disciples and that kind of thing. Very interesting guy. There's one story reported of him that he was, he's sitting there and because the rope has been around his ankle for years, it's kind of dug into his skin and this is kind of gross, but he had uh, like a maggot in the sore that was there and it fell out and he picked it back up and put it back where it was and says, eat what God has given you. Like that, that's like one of the things. So he's supposed to be this really devoted person to, to God. And so like, is that, is that what it looks like to not live like everyone else? Like, is this what Jesus has in mind for us to look differently and to be counterculture? The short answer is no, but why have Christians looked for these external ways to find a way to look differently and to live differently from everyone else. The Desert Fathers are interesting as they come along after Christians are no longer being killed for their faith. And so they're finding, trying to find a way to almost be, uh, to create a new martyrdom in order to follow Jesus' words when he says to his disciples, for example, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Well, because people were not able to literally shed their blood and lose their life through violence and persecution, uh, because Christianity became more accepted, there was a new martyrdom. That was called red martyrdom because people died, they shed their blood for that. And so then you call the desert fathers who went out to live in the desert by themselves, either white or green martyrdom. And so they're looking for ways to fulfill this idea that Jesus says, whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. And if this is not exactly what Jesus had in mind, because I don't think it is, what, what does it look like for us to lose our lives for Jesus so that we might be saved? I mean, the most popular form of this, I think, that we have in our kind of American Christian subculture, uh, the examples for that would be things like, have you ever seen these kind of t-shirts? 
you can laugh at that. Hopefully, that like that's what I was hoping for. Is and I know you may have had this T-shirt at some point in your drawer, but that's okay. No perfect people allowed. But you know the whole like we're gonna riff on the Reese's peanut butter cup uh, logo, and and somehow that's gonna be clever, and people are gonna start following Jesus for that, or you know whatever it is, or it makes us feel like we're you know we're kind of letting people know who we follow. Or maybe it's something like. You know, we only listen to K-Love and P-E-R, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that's going to be the way that we show that we're committed to Jesus in our life. Or, or maybe it's only doing our hobbies with other Christians. Like, have you ever seen the Christian workout videos that are out there, like, back in the day? Like, you could YouTube that right now if you want to. It's worth it, you know, ch- checking that out and see. And you think, all right, is that, is that the way that we're called to be different in this world? And I'm not going to riff on that too much. I'm not going to harsh on that any too hard because I think it means that we're looking for ways to honor God in the things that we do. But I'm not sure even those things fully capture the spirit of what Jesus means when he talks about fully giving ourselves over to a life guided by the life of Jesus. And the reason why that is is, is because I don't think they quite go far enough. I, I think they only scratch the surface of what Jesus actually is expecting from us. We've all heard terms like nonconformists. We've all heard about being countercultural in the way that we live out our faith. And while these are accurate descriptions, they're really just subpoints on how we're really supposed to be living our lives as a response to the gospel of Jesus. Here's how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, Whenever in the Bible, when you're reading a passage of scripture and you come across the word therefore, you always have to look as you're studying to see what the therefore is there for. And when Paul says this, he's referring back to the previous 11 chapters that he writes in this letter to the, the church in Rome. And he's basically saying, hey, everything that I have summed up for you in this chapter is God's mercy for us in, in our lives. And this is what we do as a response to this. In knowing, like we talked about last week, that the end result of God's mercy for us is that we are more than conquerors because of who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives. Like this is what we do with that life that we've been given through him. We become living sacrifices. It's the only proper response because not only is it holy, but it's pleasing to God. And so being a living sacrifice is our true and proper worship because it takes everything we are to properly express gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. When Paul uses the word sacrifice, both his Jewish background and Gentile background believers, Christians, would understand exactly what he's saying. And while conceptually we understand what a sacrifice is, they actually lived a sacrificial worship system. And so this would have been a part of just about everyday life for them and understanding like what it means to sacrifice animals as part of your worship and rolling back sin and the consequences of that. They would have a regular reminder for that. Well, now that this is gone, Paul is saying now we get to be living sacrifices. But I don't know if you know this, like living is not normally a part of the equation when it comes to sacrifice. So even his readers, I'm sure, were thinking, all right, what, what exactly is he talking about when he mentions this? There actually was, however, 
typically, you know, sacrifice doesn't survive. There was a living sacrifice even in the Mosaic Covenant back in the Old Testament when this system was put in place of sacrifice. There was one sacrifice that did stay alive. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 16. Um, we're introduced to it there. And after Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forth a live goat. He's already sacrificed a goat for the sins of the Israelite nation. Now he brings forth a second one, a live one. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task, and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. One goat was sacrificed, the other was tasked with carrying away those sins. And all of that, that's, by the way, where we get our word scapegoat from, uh, all of that is rendered obsolete. This temporary system is ended when Jesus becomes the scapegoat, both dying and living again for the sin of the entire world so that death would no longer be necessary. And so our living sacrifice model is Jesus. The difference between us being that he was the sacrifice that we could never be for ourselves. So now we get to live with him. So Paul goes on to describe the sacrifice we're called to be, and I'm gonna read the rest of Romans chapter 12. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have many, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Lust, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not become overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but Paul essentially outlines what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. He basically gives a living sacrifice checklist. And it all starts with the transformation through the renewing of our mind. Reading, studying, memorizing, and applying scripture will align you with the Holy Spirit's guidance to God's will in your life. This is not a feeling or a gut reaction thing until we develop this as we know what God has called us to do and how to live out any scenario that we come up in our life. Like that's how it becomes second nature in our life to respond in the way that Jesus does to the things that we face. 
is that we're transformed through the renewing of our mind with God's word in our hearts and our minds. The second thing that he mentions is humility. Thinking of ourselves as too important or too unimportant is revealed in a lack of self-awareness in how our lives are impacting the lives of other people. Thinking of ourselves with sober judgment lets us recognize our value without devaluing others. And so putting ourselves in a position where we're able to, for example, serve the congregation with your gifts, next category that he mentions. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but the emphasis here is on the living part of the sacrifice, as in active, as in not dead. If you're alive, you have a purpose. And while we all have different functions, we form one body together so that the more parts that are working, the healthier the body is. And this is all built on sincere love. It's a sacrificial system of love that Jesus institutes through his death, burial, and resurrection. Love through devotion, putting others first, and sharing with those in need. Love is the motivator. That's what we're sharing when we put somebody else's needs ahead of our own desires. Each time we allow ourselves to be interrupted by someone or we're intentional in inviting someone into our lives to share love with them, we're communicating the love of Christ. And then finally, all of these things, what they serve to do is they defeat evil. They defeat evil with the good that Jesus has instituted in our lives. It seems like this should be the one that's really easy to identify, but it's probably the most difficult to apply in our lives. At least it is for me, because most of the time I want to overcome evil with the evil that was done to me, right? I mean, that's kind of the gut reaction is I'm going to respond in kind. And yet when we choose to live a different way, a countercultural way, by responding to evil with goodness, that's when we become a living sacrifice. The one thing a living sacrifice can't be is inaction. We're called to live lives that are actively counter to the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world itself misses the mark of God's will. And in view of the grace and mercy that God offers despite our sin, and, and the fact that so many people have not experienced that gracie, grace and mercy yet in our lives, like it, it, should, it should cause us to be bothered by that, to do something different with our life so that people can ex- experience that. Early in Romans, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Not that this is a thing and that you can do this, but Paul, Paul has come to the place where he's understood the depth of God's grace and mercy and love for his life. That in order for people who have not yet, yet accepted that for their own life, he would be willing to give up his own salvation separated from Jesus so that they could experience it because of how deeply this changes everything in our world and not just for here but for all eternity. It may sound strange at first but when you have grasped the richness of faith and the depth of love with which God has called us through his love through Jesus, if you couple that with what Jesus teaches at stake when it comes to eternity, like, like you begin to understand why Paul would say that, that he's willing to give up everything, even Jesus, just so other people could experience Jesus. This is what Jesus did for us, so that we might be saved from the consequences of sacrificing ourselves to sin. Jesus gives his own status up 
in order to become a man and come, become fully God and fully man to sacrifice himself for our sins. And so therefore, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, we can be a living sacrifice like Jesus, which leads us to experiencing God's will for our lives. Living sacrifices are transformed minds who are acting on God's will. And so we offer our bodies. We offer everything we say, we think, and we do to God as a living sacrifice. That, that the heart behind why we do what we do, we say, and we think, our actions in this life are guided by who God is and not who we are. In Matthew chapter 15, I love this interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees because the Pharisees are really upset, like I am at my house with my kids, that the disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. And so they come up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 and ask him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus' response is, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. It's not that Jesus is anti-washing your hands before you eat. He's anti these Pharisees and teachers of the law responding, referring back to this tradition of the elders that is not a thing that disciples have to follow in order to be followers of, of God and saying that they didn't ritually wash before they ate and somehow that was a problem. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not a thing. Like God doesn't care about that. You're making this up because you're trying to find ways to do this in external shows of devotion to God, but it hasn't actually changed your heart based on what you're choosing to do and live your life all about. It's not about the ritual, it's about the heart behind it. And so this living sacrifice that Jesus has called us, called us to be a part of is that just as Jesus is preparing a place for us, if the entirety of our life's work can only be defined in terms of our life here on earth, we're missing out on the fullness of life that God wants for us. That's what the living part of living sacrifice means, is that it's not just about this life, it's also about the life to come. It's an eternal life that we're invited into, and so our efforts and what we live for ought to be on an eternal basis. We ought to look at everything that we do through the lens of eternity. How is this impacting eternity? God has you in or is leading you to the place where you're going to be for an eternal life impact. And so have you transformed your mind to be renewed by this reality? And the final thing is when we put all this together is that it becomes our worship. True and proper worship is every part of life given, given to God. Like what we do on Sunday morning does not encapsulate the word worship. Even if we add small groups and even if we add serving, like that doesn't encapsulate everything that is worship in our lives. Everything that is worship in our lives is everything that is in our lives. At least that's, that's the goal. That's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice in all, those, all of those things. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. The difficult part for us is to recognize that the pattern of the world is broken and the idols that are so often lifted up to distract us and divide for our attention are lifeless. And only Jesus is the living and active sacrifice that is the model for us and how we respond to God's grace and mercy that he offers to us in our lives. If, if that's not, and that leads us to God's will when we put that into practice in our life. And if that's not something that you feel like, I, I don't even know 
Like if I've been putting in the practice, I don't know if I've been living like a living sacrifice. I'm not really sure where to start in that arena. Um, I mean, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we have a body of many members that are coming together and using their gifts, hopefully, is so that we can spur one another on to those things in our life. And so we'd love to, I mean, I'd love to talk with you in the lobby or if it's, you know, write, a, write something on our Connect card and, or email us or, or talk with someone who invited you to come this morning and, and spend some time looking at, man, what, what does it look like to live this, this countercultural, non-conforming life that Jesus desires for us all to experience because it leads to God's will for our lives. Jesus makes all of this possible um, through his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the living sacrifice. And we celebrate this every week at Velocity as we take communion uh, with each other. And so we're going to share in that time right now. Uh, we're gonna, the trays are going to be passed out. And I'm going to say a word of prayer. And, uh, and we'll share in that time and celebrate communion together. God, um, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as a community and focus specifically on you uh, during this time. Um, but God, we just, we just ask that as we go about our everyday lives that you help us to become more and more aware of the Holy Spirit's leading and how we're to respond, how we're to go out of our way, how we're supposed to interact with where we find ourselves in this life when it comes to living in our faith. Focus completely on you. God, even, even if we were to strip away all the, all the things that, um, that are comfortable, uh, if we took the air conditioning away, if we took away, you know, the, the restaurant after church, if we took away all these things, like, we would still be more, more than well taken care of because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so a sacrificial response of love totally, totally makes sense in how we respond to you. God, help us to see that. Help us to see the opportunities that you give us in our day-to-day -day walks in our lives and, and to be able to do that. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.